You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and this week we want to ask a very, very important question. Does believing in billions of years and or evolution actually affect someone's salvation? Now, this is a really good question, something we've not addressed yet on the podcast, but it's very important. Now, now maybe you haven't even thought about this question, uh, but believe it or not, it actually does come up quite a bit uh, in the origins uh, debate. And so we need to talk about this. Um, if we are talking about something that could potentially affect someone's salvation, uh, we certainly need to get on board. We need to get straight with it. Um Am I saying that that's the case? No, not necessarily. Um, we are actually going to look at this from a pretty unique um, angle, which I will explain in, in just a moment. First of all, let me say that we are taking a break this week from our series, The Biblical Origin of Humanity. Of course, you know we've been going through the book, Searching for Adam, Genesis, and the Truth about Man's Origin. Uh uh, you know, I'm from the South, and my preacher has a saying. Uh, he says that uh, that a rut is nothing more than a grave with both ends kicked out. So we don't want to get stuck in a rut here. Um, uh, we've been going through the Searching for Adam or the Biblical Origin of Humanity series for quite some time. And, um, you know, I don't want us to get bored with it, okay? But we do have three more to go, and we'll, we'll probably try to knock those out over the next three weeks. Um but I felt we needed to address this issue now. And so here's kind of the background. Um, I have a, a buddy who owns a Facebook group. He's got a Facebook group. And what it is, it's a formal debate group. And basically, we have debates in there between, it, it might be between two young earth creationists debating a model. Um, it might be a debate between a young earth creationist and a theistic evolutionist or an old age creationist. So it's basically a group for um, young age, recent creationists to uh, debate others for any particular reason. And uh, the official stance of the group is that it is a young earth creationist group. Of course, people in there are welcome who are not young earth creationists because that's who we have debates with. Um, and so we do written debates and uh, I believe video debates are even um, on task for the future. So in any sense, that's kind of where we are at. And Recently, my buddy who owns who owns the group, and I'm going to post a link to the group in the show notes, and I don't think he would mind me calling his name. His name is Nate. Um, my buddy Nate, he, he has asked me if I would be willing to, every once in a while, review the debates we have on the podcast. And I thought, well, that's, that's a great idea. Um, for numerous reasons. I mean, for for one reason, it, it's a little bit more content for the podcast, of course, so that's good, um, just to kind of have something else to uh, that we can use here um, to deal with. But it's also good because it's about debate. And the reason I like that is because it's going to highlight challenges to um, either young earth creationist models or even to the position as a whole, it's going to highlight unique challenges. And by highlighting those, we can address them here on the podcast and we can talk about them and we can talk about why or why not they're an issue. We can talk about what might need be needed to um, be done to work through them. And we can really use this to our advantage. So I'm, I'm thankful that Nate would, would allow us to do that. He's uh, agreed to supply whatever information that we need and 
put it out there so that uh, more people can can get involved. Now, look, I, I encourage you if you if you listen uh, to the to my podcast, go over there to his group and get signed up. Uh, it's a long group name. I, I, I neglected to write the group name down right before I started, so I apologize for that. But but I am going to link you to that in the show notes and. It, whether or not you're a young earth creationist, you need to join this group. Um, you know, uh, I, I do meet a lot of people online on the Facebook groups, and those are good. Um, but most of them end up in just kind of like a mudslinging contest. And it, it's not very productive discussion. But the whole point of this group is to have formal debates that are moderated. Everybody is kept intellectually honest. Uh, it's a really, really good platform. And Nate has done a super good job putting it together over there. So I highly encourage you, whether or not you're a young earth creationist, to go over there, get on board in this group. Uh, if nothing else, you can watch the debates that others have. You do not have to participate for any reason. No pressure at all. Um, nobody will even ask you to participate. Uh, it's just simply a matter of, do you want to be involved in this? And I think you should. And you may or may not have time to read the debates. And when you don't have time, even though you should, um, tune into the podcast and we'll do a review of the debate. So, um, so backtracking a little bit. So Nate asked me to do, um, of course, reviews of debates and he went ahead and sent me this one and I'm not even sure that he was expecting me to address it this soon. Um, but I am, and I want to, uh, you know, say that normally I, I don't think I would take a whole podcast episode to, to review a debate. Um, I think it's it's typically something that I could do in a ten to fifteen minute time period, um, in a in a podcast episode where we were already talking about something. Um, but these uh, these searching for Adam or biblical origin of humanity podcasts, uh, just to cover all the information that have been in these book chapters, have been taking all of an hour. So I don't want to keep you longer than an hour, um, if I can possibly help it. And I know we've gone over a little bit, an hour and five minutes, something like that on most of those episodes. But I, So I don't want to keep you too much longer than that. Um, so I felt that in order to address this sooner rather than later, I was going to need to devote more time to it. And uh, even then, you know, I might try to make a podcast about more than one topic. But in this particular case, I think this is an important enough topic that it needs to be addressed uh, thoroughly. I, I really think we need to take a, a podcast length look at this question. Um even past the point that it was just uh, the debate, right? I mean, that was the subject of the debate, but we really need to uh, center in on this question because it's very, very important. And the reason it's very important is because there is a lot of um, misinformation out there, number one. Number two, we have to be very, very careful when we're talking about matters that could affect someone's salvation. In other words, if we're going to comment and we are going to say that something is required in order for someone to be saved, then we're going to have to have a pretty clear, in my opinion, biblical mandate. We're going to have to be able to make a pretty clear biblical case for that. Um, and so it goes. So, Let's dive in, take a look at a couple things, and here's what we're going to do. First of all, I am going to lay out for you the general position of 
both the pro and the con. Now, I know both names of the participants. Um, I've interfaced with both of them, interacted with both of them online. And, uh, and I know their names. I know them. I've talked to them. But I'm not going to use their names here. Uh, I'm just going to say pro and con uh, for numerous reasons, which we won't get into. Okay. Um, but in this debate, again, the question was, does believing in billions of years or evolution affect someone's salvation? And I'm going to give you the overall position. Then we're actually going to look through some of the text of the debate, not too much, but, but some of the text of the debate and some of the arguments that were made back and forth. Um, then I'm going to give you, um, my position on the matter, uh, which will probably become evident sooner than that, so I might not even need to do that, but, but then I'm going to tell you who I think won the debate and why. Um, and hopefully in the course of all that, we're going to get this question answered. I mean, does believing in billions of years um, or evolution affect someone's salvation? If we were to water that down a little bit, basically what Pro is claiming, and by the way, Pro Obviously, is pro, he is for the argument. Pro supports the argument. He is the one who, who, who put this debate topic in place. So, Pro in this case believes that if you believe in billions of years and or evolution, that it does and will affect your salvation. Uh, to be very blunt and to be very clear, Pro's take is that if you believe in an old earth of any kind, that you cannot and you must not be a Christian, despite the fact that you claim it. All right, now, in this case, Khan is against that, okay? He is against the idea that your belief either way um, affects your salvation. And furthermore, um, he is not arguing this from a young earth creationist perspective. He is, in fact, arguing this from an old earth creationist perspective. And I believe, to be even clearer, he is arguing this from an evolutionary perspective. I do believe that Khan, in this case, subscribes to the theory of evolution. And as we'll find out going through the debate, he holds to a framework view of Genesis. And we'll talk about that in a minute and what that means, um, especially in with respect to this particular debate. All right. So uh, does believing in millions of years and or evolution affect someone's salvation? Now, here is uh, the argument that... Um, that pro makes. Okay. Essentially he makes an argument for a young earth, um, in general using three particular pillars, we'll call them. Um, and I, and I agree with each one of his pillars. I, of course, you know, I am a recent creationist. Um, I don't necessarily like the term young earth creationist because, um, it, it tends to have certain connotations to it that, um, that I don't like to uh, get into, uh, okay? And I'll just leave it at that. So I tend to say either a young age or a recent creationist, but um, so that is the position that he comes from, and I agree with him uh, on that extent. He argues uh, basically using three different things. He uses the genealogies, um, which he uh, gives a, a whole breakdown uh, in his uh, text, in his opening round here. He gives a, um, a entire breakdown as to why it is that he, uh, 
um, get, or how it is rather that he gets the age of the earth, which he calculated out to be about 6,127 years and pointed out that most young earth creationists just round down to around 6,000 years for the sake of argument. Now, I agree with him there. All right. He also makes the case that Exodus 20 um, verses 8 through 11 uh, teach that God himself in the Ten Commandments wrote with his very finger um, that... Uh, that six days uh, Israel is going to work and they're going to rest on the seventh day and that that is a pattern of the creation week where God says that in six days uh, I made heaven and earth. I did it all. Um, okay, so uh, that's a pretty clear case. And he also argues from the Matthew 19 and Mark 10 passages um, where Jesus comments that the creation of male and female um, was from the beginning of the creation. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast, those are three things that you've probably already hold, uh, or heard. rather. Um, we hold to the genealogies. We hold to the fact, um, by the way, the f- whole point with the genealogies is that you know the age of the father when their son was born, and of course, when um, the father died, all right? So we, we can, we're able to calculate... Um, these ages and this chronology, it's the only form of genealogy, by the way, that you can form a meaningful chronology from. You can actually get date information from this kind of genealogy. And the only two that exist anywhere in any ancient Near Eastern literature, the Bible or anywhere, is found in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, which is a clear indicator that they are there for a reason and that they are there to establish a true timeline of history, all right? So I agree with Pro's argument as to the age of the earth. Now, he starts out by defining what a heresy is, okay? Uh, Obviously, he defines young earth creationism. He defines old earth creationism. And he defines a heresy as a belief or teaching that goes against the official beliefs or teaching of a particular worldview. Now, consider the word worldview. That is going to be very important because we're going to find out later. And I I just kind of want you, I I want to give you the stuff as I'm thinking about it because I want you to file it away, okay? I want you to store it in your memory here for when we talk about it in a minute so we can come back to that. But um, Pro here defines a heresy as the official, uh, as anything that goes against the official teachings of a worldview. But we're going to find that Khan tends to define a heresy as what the church, um, how the church would define it. In other words, it is the church who defines what a heresy is. And he argues that historically speaking, that's always been the way that it is. So just something interesting for you to for you to take. And essentially, Pro argues that, look, if we were to come across somebody who denies that uh, Jesus is the Son of God, they are not a Trinitarian, maybe they read the same Bible we do, um, maybe they don't, but th- they look and they say, look, I-, I don't think it's possible that Jesus is a uh, second part of the Godhead, or that he is the second part of the Godhead. Um, we believe that it's a clear teaching of Scripture that the Trinity is in place, uh, that that is a thing. Um, if we were to go against that, um, Pro makes the argument that if Khan, in this case, were to 
look at that person and say, look, you, you, you obviously deny the clear teaching of Scripture because it's true that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, that he would agree with Pro, that they would both agree that this person was a heretic was a heretic. And he says, because when you read the New Testament um, and the Bible in a straightforward and contextual fashion, this is a direct quote, by the way, from Pro, you see that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Son is an antichrist. 1 John 2, 22 through 23. You will also see that Jesus, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit all have the same divine attributes. Um, we also see that uh, Jesus saying that the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit all have the same name, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, we see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus while the Father speaks to Jesus as a voice from heaven, Matthew 3, uh, 16 through 17. Uh, and then, of course, he gives the cross references there. So he says that, you know, my opponent's probably familiar with all those per, uh, passages. And when he looks at that person who denies that Jesus is God, um, he would most likely label that person as a heretic. Um, since the person in question believes in and teaches that Jesus was not God and never claimed to be, my opponent would recognize that this person um, contradicts the Bible's official position, which meets the definition of a heresy. Okay? Now, uh, he says that his point in discussing this is to show that if uh, both the opponent and he um, believe that the Bible takes a clear position on something, that a follower of Jesus believes in and teaches something that is contrary to the clear position of the Bible, we both agree that such a person is a heretic. Um, and he says, since I claimed at the beginning that a follower of Jesus who believes in billions of years of revolution is a heretic, and since I am a young earth creationist, it's up to me to show that the clear position of the Bible of the earth is 6,000 years old. And of course, he does that using... Um, the arguments that I just mentioned, the genealogies, Exodus, the words of Jesus, by the way, I believe that is a clear case. I do. I, I firmly, st with respect to the age, okay, with respect to the age, I believe that that is a clear case. I, I, I fully, 100%, I, I think any argument to support theistic evolution and even to support old earth creationism, I think they fall flat. I think there are unanswerable questions um, posed to those worldview, um, to those worldviews that there are Bible answers Four that are just kind of skimmed over or dismissed as not so easily understood. Um, and, and all too often when I see those um, who subscribe to an old earth, um, when I see them pressed on particular matters that would um, that would deal with this, then you know, they tend to not have a very good answer. And again, I'll just leave it at that. So uh, anyway, the point here is that um, the pro in this case uh, does make a pretty clear case for the age of, of the earth. But then he says at the very end um, that since the Bible clearly teaches a 6,000-year-old universe, old earth creationism is a heresy by definition. Old earth creationism is a heresy by Definition, since the Bible clearly teaches a 6,000-year-old universe. So that is Pro's argument. Now, um, Khan, his general argument is this, and he kind of sums it up nicely um, in his opening uh, kind of remarks, so we don't have to dig through and peruse every single one of these out, uh, but we are going to talk about a few of them. So the first um, argument that he would make is that there is no biblical mandate for believing in or, or believing in a young earth as far as to uh, salvation 
Okay, and and so he's he I I think he's right about that. Uh, he says specifically that nowhere in the Bible does it say that one's view of creation affects one's view of salvation. And he goes on to give uh to give um. Uh, Romans 10. Romans 10, 9, of course, says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, then that person's going to be saved. Um, it says nothing about their view of creation. Uh, and when the Philippian jailer, um, he writes, ask Paul and Silas the conditions for being saved in Acts 16, 30, they respond by saying that the jailer must believe in Jesus. Again, nothing about one's view of creation is mentioned. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, that Christianity is contingent upon Christ's resurrection only. Not a single verse in the Bible says that one's view of creation affects their salvation. Now, um, I just want to insert my own thoughts here just briefly uh, uh, to this point. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers here, um, but I've probably mentioned it before on the podcast, so I'm just going to go ahead and say that I do not agree with Pro's position that, that this is a salvation issue. Um, he is very adamant about this. I've talked to him numerous times. He's very adamant about this, but I am not. And basically, he, he tends to wrap in the fact that you got to believe Jesus, right? Because um, Jesus said that how are you going to believe spiritual things, right? If 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 I tell you earthly things and you don't even understand those. And, and I get where he's coming from on that. But again, I think the case against this is very strong from a biblical perspective. But but I do want to comment on something. He makes, um, Khan makes this statement, not a single verse in the Bible says that one's view of creation affects their salvation. And while this is true, I think there are other things that need to be um, considered loosely speaking. Now, on something that as important as salvation, I do believe that we're going to have to have direct biblical mandate in order to make any case. Um, this is because salvation is something that is intended to be simple. This is something that is intended to be something that is made available to everyone. Now, there are, are plenty who are going to have theological problems with what I just said, but but it, it's my view and my position, and I, I believe it's the Bible's position, that salvation is available to all who will call on the name of Christ and receive Him. That's what the Bible seems to indicate. Um and so I do think that's important. But I've seen this trend, and we have to be very, very careful when we say things like not a single verse in the Bible says that one's view of something affects something else. Um in general. And the reason being is because a lot of people use the Bible to explain away sin using using that. Um and I don't want to get this is not the purpose of this podcast is to get too specific on that but 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 I want to just point out that some people will say well look the Bible doesn't directly say that you should uh, do this um, I'll just get controversial on you and you don't have to agree with me on this um, and, and that's fine it's my position that I believe the Bible teaches that we should not drink alcohol I believe that's the Bible's position. I've seen every argument you can possibly imagine to the contrary. All right, I, I, I've, and but usually, usually the person says something like this: Well, the Bible does not teach that we should not drink alcohol; only that we should not get drunk. Okay, so that's one thing. Well, let's consider that. So, what if nearly every mention in the Bible of alcohol? was in a negative context. What if the only explicit 
teaching of the Bible was that we should not get drunk, but rather be filled with the Spirit. But what if every time alcohol is mentioned in the Bible, something very bad happens, such as uh, what happened when Lot got drunk and we have the whole city of um, Sodom going down and in, in that particular time period. So, um, you know... I, Anyway, I could get on a rabbit trail there, <clears throat> on a rabbit trail there. Excuse me, that that I don't necessarily want to get into. But the point that I was trying to make was that so um, so we use that to justify that. But but if, if if the argument is that the Bible doesn't speak directly to something, then what do we do with something like mar- mar- marijuana or or illegal drug use? I think we can make a clear case from Scripture that those things would be wrong. But those things are never mentioned in Scripture, right? So this, um, you know, n- not a verse in the Bible supports this, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of thinking. Um, I challenge that. I challenge that a little bit because I don't think we always have to have an explicit verse in the Bible in order to make a case for something. I think if the Bible um, speaks in a certain way, uh, polygamy is another one of those cases. The Bible clearly documents cases of polygamy happening in the Bible. Does that mean that the Bible is in support of polygamy? We even see folks like King David taking part in this. King David, a man after God's own heart, taking part of this. Many make the case that the Bible is in support of polygamy, but it's obviously not. Marriage is between one man and one woman. So we have to be careful with this. Well, the Bible doesn't directly say. Um, a lot of times we can make a case of something from the Bible. Um, homosexuality is one of those things. God doesn't specifically um say the words, thou shalt not be a homosexual. But there is plenty of biblical case uh, to be made uh, to the opposite conclusion that marriage is between one man and one woman to where we know that homosexuality is wrong. And of course, we find specific examples in the Corinthians and in Romans 1 um, where Paul dealt with this issue, even though Jesus never explicitly said the words, thou shalt not uh, be a homosexual. So um, I just want to make that clear that sometimes we have to infer things from the Bible um, that are not directly stated. However, I don't believe it's the case with salvation. I think salvation is 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 too important. It, we're talking about eternity. Uh, I don't think that if there were... Um, um, a, a, additional considerations, additional convictions that one must hold in uh, conjunction with their view of Christ that um, that affect one's salvation without God having told us about it. I, I don't think a view like that exists. So um, just to kind of give you that, okay, so, so that's one case that Khan makes is that nowhere in the Bible does it say that creation would uh, affect your salvation. Secondly, um, he argues that a literal interpretation of Genesis has never been an official teaching of Christianity. He says no early creed nor confession uh, said that a Christian must interpret Genesis 1 through 11 that way. Uh, it doesn't seem to be any kind of test for orthodoxy. Um, he says we have many creeds and confessions which lay out what the Trinity is and what each person of the Trinity does. Of course, um, if that's so important, 
he asks, why is it never uh, an essential doctrine of Christianity? Uh, why is it never made that way by the church? Of course, he also argues that many church fathers rejected a literal interpretation of Genesis 1. He talks about origin um, and his rejection of it, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, um, even Augustine. He talks about all of those. Um, and we have dealt with that before on our our podcast in great length. Um, and they're going to address those issues back and forth a little bit here as we go on. Okay, and then he also says that most young earth creationists um, plainly teach that the Bible says that the earth is young. Um, However, he argues that young earth creationists tend to be highly selective as to what the Bible clearly or plainly says, and he gives a couple of good examples. He says the Bible says that seeds die before they grow in John 12, 24, says that Mustard seeds are the smallest. Matthew 13, 31 through 32 says that salvation is not by faith alone in James 2, 24. Um, So these are things that the Bible plainly says, um, but he says things that my opponent most likely rejects. So if young earth creationists want to believe what the Bible clearly and plainly says, why are they selective as to which verses they read plainly? Interesting. So, uh, and then he kind of goes on to sum that up. So those are the positions of each of our opponent. We have, on one hand, a guy who trusts in a young earth. He believes the Bible teaches a young earth. He believes that that is a standard teaching of the Bible. And that to deviate from that position would, in fact, um, be a heresy by definition. Okay, and then um, Khan kind of argues that, look, uh, the church never taught it officially. You're selective as to what you take clearly and plainly in the Bible, Um also says that the church fathers, many of them rejected uh, this literal interpretation of Genesis. And of course, he says that the Bible does not um, uh, directly speak to this issue being one that affects salvation. So those are the two cases. So you can kind of go ahead and be thinking in your head about which one uh, you think is more clear. Now, I'm going to go through some of the back and forth here. I don't have time to go through all of it, obviously, but I highlighted a few things as I was reading through this debate that I think are important for us to... um, either address and kind of give um, a, a an apologetic for here. So um, one thing that he mentions in response to, uh, by the way, we're back on pro here, and he's responding to the claim that we spent a few minutes talking about a moment ago, dealing with the fact that the Bible does not um, necessarily uh, teach things plainly, uh, or excuse me, does not necessarily say things plainly, that it nevertheless teaches plainly. Um Okay, so something with respect to this that I find rather interesting, too, is a lot of times we get this odd-sounding challenge that, well, the Bible doesn't say that the earth is 6,000 years old. Well, the Bible's not going to say the earth is 6,000 years old because it wasn't written 6,000 years ago. So um, just food for thought. If you're a young earth creationist using that objection, uh, stop. Or excuse me, if you're an old earth creationist, rather using that objection, uh, please stop. Uh, for what objections there may be to the to the to the recent creation view, um, that is not a good one. Okay, um, but uh, so pro's case here is that uh, consider the Muslims, and, and this is a legitimate concern. Muslims teach that the that the Bible does not specifically say the word Trinity. And uh, something uh, of the phrase, I am God, worship me, or something like that, never is found coming from the mouth of Jesus. Of course, we know that God claimed, or Jesus claimed to be God, and we know that he accept, accepts worship in many different instances, and so that's why we believe these things. But nevertheless, Muslims say there is no clear teaching in Scripture um, that uh, the word Trinity is even there, and so we should not accept that God is a 
Trinity. So um, that's kind of the first case that Pro makes against uh, the arguments of Khan. And, and I, I kind of agree with what he's saying there. Again, we dealt with that at length a minute ago, but we have to understand that sometimes the Bible is going to teach things that it does not explicitly say, but you have to use good hermeneutics and you have to actually read the Bible as a whole, take in the message as a whole and process through it. Now, uh, so, of course, Pro argues that even though this phrase, you must believe in a 6,000-year-old earth and universe in order to be saved, never appears in the Bible. He says, we know from the passages I shared in my opening statement that the Bible clearly teaches a 6,000-year-old earth and universe. Um, But then he makes this statement. He says, because it's so clearly taught, anyone who denies this after being made aware of the passages I shared in my opening statement probably isn't saved because saved people conform their beliefs to what the Bible says regardless of how they feel about it initially. Okay. Now, I I, I want to comment on a couple of things right here because it's very important. I don't think this argument from pro holds up. I'm going to give you a few reasons why I'm looking at it. Okay. Because it's so clearly taught, anyone who denies this after being made aware of the passages I shared in my opening statement. Let's stop right there. What if a person comes into our church, they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit, And they trust Christ before they leave. Maybe they've never been to a church before. I don't know. I have no idea. But they come in and they trust Christ. They're they're, they're under heavy burden. And the Holy Spirit's convicted their heart. They know that they're bankrupt without God. They come in and they trust Christ and they get saved. They start coming to church for a few weeks. And the preacher takes a text out of Genesis 1 and makes a mention of how evolution just simply isn't true and makes a mention of how the Bible teaches a young earth. What if that person does not accept right away or, or, or ever the young earth position, but they got saved a week before? How does that work? How, 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 you can't connect the dots right there. Um, to teach that would, 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 would mean teaching that you can lose your salvation and, unless, uh, and maybe that's where this stems from. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure of the theological persuasions of pro here, but if pro is a diehard Armenian or something, if he believes that you can choose to lose your salvation, which he may, then I can see where he would argue from that perspective, and that's a whole different issue. Um, But I don't believe that if you come in and get saved one Sunday, and over the course of the next few Sundays you learn something about the the natural world that's contrary to what you believe, then it takes you a while to accept it, or or you have issues accepting it in general. Um, I, I don't believe that that means you've committed some sort of apostasy. All right, uh, so so there's another problem. All right, the, the next problem is found in his next few words. Um, so he says, anyone who denies this after being made aware of the passages I shared in my opening statement probably isn't saved. Okay, well, there's a problem. He's arguing that they are not saved, but he says now that they're probably not saved. He's He seems to not be confident enough in his own position Okay, to 
dogmatically say when it's applied more specifically that a particular person is definitely not saved. He now uses the word probably. Words matter here. Probably isn't saved. All right, well, maybe they're not. But now, what reason does he give for that? He says, because saved people conform their beliefs to what the Bible says, regardless of how they feel about it initially. Isn't that interesting? But you know what I found? I found that that's not always the case. I found that it's not always the case. Uh, Jesus also says these words, go and sin no more. He says that uh, to somebody he's dealing with there in the Bible, in the New Testament. And yet, that uh, applies to us. Be perfect as I am perfect. But yet we know these are things that we cannot possibly do. We can sure strive for them. But we cannot uh, live a life of sinless perfection in our flesh after we get saved. And and, and he's he's saying that people conform their beliefs to what the Bible says, Um but I don't think that this holds up. Uh, for instance, I am not a Calvinist. I have friends who are, all right? And they would say that the Bible clearly teaches Calvinism. I mean, clear as day. They would say that it clearly teaches that just as clearly as I believe that the Bible teaches a 6,000-year-old earth. Does that mean that because I am of the wrong theological persuasion that the trust I have placed in Christ and the confirmation he's given me by my Holy Spirit um, or, or with the Holy Spirit— is not valid? Does that mean that my that that when the spirit bears witness to my spirit, it's actually just some kind of foofy pie in the sky thing I'm feeling and not real salvation because I'm not a Calvinist and that is supposedly clearly what the Bible teaches? I, I don't think Pro's argument here holds up when he really lays it out. Um, I think that. When you say people conform their beliefs to what the Bible says, regardless of how they feel about it initially, I think that sounds good to say, but I think that's not always the case. And and and, and I do still believe that people who don't do that are saved, and, and perhaps he doesn't, and perhaps this underlying theological persuasion is charging his um charging his emotions here um so i kind of wanted to point that out pro also says that um and again we can't we can't possibly go back and forth on every single one of these arguments um there's a ton more here um but he also points out that with the exception of justin martyr um every church father that the uh that con uh, referred to explicitly states in their writings that the earth is less than ten thousand years old or less than six thousand years old um and in order for them to come to that conclusion they all had to take genesis 1 through 11 literally um, um, which is uh, exactly the opposite of um, what his opponent uh, asserts about them. And of course, um, uh, Pro has come back here in the course of time since um, uh, before before saying this, okay, and giving some quotes from these church fathers, which um, uh, submitted at least at face value that they all had something to say, with the exception of Justin Martyr, um, ab- about a younger Earth. Um, and so, and I found this a little bit um, both creationists and um, or recent creationists and old Earth creationists um, tend to cherry pick the Church Fathers, <laughs> and we've talked about that before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Um, but what's interesting is that some of these church fathers are saying contradictory things at face value, and we're going to look at that. Um, so then, uh, in response, Khan comes back and uh, deals with the fact, again, talking about this Trinity thing. And he says that um, 
there's many problems with uh, with with Pro's objection to the opening statement. Um, of course, saying that they aren't uh, officially laid out in Scripture, um, that the age of the earth could be a salvation issue. But he says that Peter's sermon at Pentecost referenced the Trinity in Christ's divinity, but not the age of the earth, or how one ought to interpret Genesis 1 through 11. And why is that? He says the simple answer is that what one believes about the age of the earth, or how Genesis 1 through 11 ought to be interpreted, is not a salvation issue. And right there, I most certainly agree. There, I, I, I think that again, I, I think that again, when it comes to salvation, we should look for explicit biblical teaching and mandate as to how we should be saved. Okay, I, I think that that is, um, I think that that's something that we cannot just infer from scripture. I think that that is, we're going to need to know how to handle that. All right. Um, and so I just don't uh, believe, I agree with Khan here, I do not believe that sal- that salvation is dependent upon that. And I don't believe Scripture teaches that. Um, they also uh, address the church fathers. And of course, Khan responds back and says, even though all of the early church fathers who rejected a literal reading of Genesis um, thought the earth was young, he makes a good point. He says, Pro thinks that as long as the early church fathers accept a young earth, they are within orthodoxy. However, these early church fathers rejected a literal and plain reading of Genesis 1. So he asks, which is it? Do we read Genesis 1 through 11 literally, or do we need to believe the earth is young? Of course, I believe that a literal reading is going to produce results that the earth is young. And when we say literally, of course, we understand that that actually means um, using a grammatical historical hermeneutic, all right? We are we are looking at the Bible, taking into account historical context and um, grammatic structures that are important to understanding what the writer's um, intent was. Uh, so that is important. Um, uh, con- uh, excuse me, pro comes back. Of course, um, in the in the last round, um, Khan kind of gave his view of Genesis, said that he holds to the framework view. Um, of course, uh, Pro goes ahead here and summarizes that position. He says the literary framework basically teaches that day one and four are related because it involves light. It says that day two and five are related because they revolve around water. And it says that three and six are related because it has to do with dry ground. A vegetation, uh, and he says, by accepting literary framework theory, my opponent can believe in evolution, billions of years, Big Bang theory. He can justify saying that it doesn't contradict the creation account because the creation account is not a literal account of how God made things. Um, and he points out that that there are problems with this. He says God Himself says in Exodus twenty eight through eleven that He made the universe, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days. Um, that He rested on the seventh. And he argues that since God said this in the context of talking about the seven day work week we all experience today god is clearly saying that he made everything in six ordinary days like we experience today and again i, I totally agree with that um i 100 agree with pro's conclusion on that I, I think that the bible is in clear support of a young earth now he also says concerning the church fathers that um the fact that they seem to in some cases, not be taking Genesis literally, uh, but then in other cases, they seem to be teaching that the earth is indeed um, young. It says that the only thing it shows is that the church fathers were not consistent on how they approached the Bible. Um, 
Uh, the early church fathers picked and chose which parts of the Bible they wanted to accept a straightforward reading of. I'm quoting, by the way. And they picked out which parts of Scripture they didn't want to accept a straightforward reading of. Um, their inconsistency has been emulated well uh, by old earth creationists and supports my point that old earth creationists, like my opponent, evaluate the, op- the opinions of man over the Bible when it comes to origins. Um you know, I tend to agree with pros thinking here. Um, I do think that, and this is in my experience, I've had a lot of conversations with those who believe in an old age, whether that be theistic evolution or, or, or otherwise. And um, it is true. A lot of times their appeals are to the church fathers. There are appeals to the current scientific authorities of the day. Um, appeals are not made directly to scripture because scripture doesn't directly support the idea of an old earth. You have to reinterpret uh, a pretty standard um, natural reading of the scripture in order to come to those conclusions, especially when you start messing with the order of Genesis 1, which, uh, boy, that's something I could spend another hour itself on, okay? Uh, So we're not going to go there. But, um, Point being uh, that I do agree that there's a bit of inconsistency here on the part of, uh, I guess, of some of the church fathers as well as on the part of some old earth creationists. Uh, I believe the Bible ought to be our standard. No authority of man outside of that um, needs to be the standard over a correct interpretation of the Bible. You say, well, how do you interpret the Bible? If you'll read your Bible, you'll find out how to interpret your Bible. You'll find out that Jesus and other New Testament writers knew exactly how to interpret Genesis. Um, You'll find that they knew how to divide Scripture out. They knew how to um, find uh, information that applied well to one time period that maybe doesn't apply to another time period. Um, And and even so far as to understand um, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. So um, there are important considerations um, to be made uh, in this. And and the point is that many times um, you're on dangerous footing and on dangerous ground when we solely reference outside sources in order to reinterpret the Bible to get our understanding of origins. I think that we need to be careful with that. So Khan um, comes back on a few things uh, dealing with the Matthew 19 and Mark 10 issue. He says that they do not prove Genesis 1 ought to be read literally. And of course, Mark 10 and Matthew 19 is where Jesus said that they were made male and female from the beginning of the creation. Uh, he said that it works as a mere literary illusion. And I said that it's also reasonable to assume that since the context is marriage, that Jesus was speaking about the creation of marriage not the creation of the universe. Well, of course, looking at this from 10,000 feet, there's big problems with Khan's argument there because indeed, um, it does say that from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. All right, it's 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 not from the beginning of the creation of male and female. It's from the beginning of the creation, and we've talked about this before. That the further you spread the creation of male and female from the beginning of the creation, the more unbelievable you make Jesus sound in this particular case. So um, this does not support a mere literary illusion. Um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I'm more persuaded by the argument that some theistic evolutionists make, which I think is terrible. But, 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 but a lot of them make the case that Jesus was just wrong and that he didn't have sufficient knowledge to to be able to comment accurately 
on the age of the earth. Um, I'm almost more apt to believe that even than I am to believe that that Jesus was not taking this straightforward, uh, literal reading of Genesis and referring to it as history. Um, I believe, of course, that that is the case. Um, he also talks about uh, the church father issue. He says that uh, he ends up shooting himself in the foot because he defined a heresy as something that goes against the official teaching of um of the church, and by criticizing early church fathers, he acknowledges that a literal interpretation has never been an official teaching of the church. This means that rejecting a little literal interpretation of Genesis 1 cannot be heresy, according to Pro. By the way, for our purposes, I think it's important to understand heresy versus heterodoxy. I don't know if you've ever um, heard of that term, heterodoxy versus heresy. So, um, Whereas a, a, a heresy, and, and of course this is going to kind of be loosely defined um, by me here, but I think pro in this case might actually be conflating these two terms. Um, so whereas a heresy is something that would um, completely uh, lie without the bounds um, so outside of the bounds of a of a teaching of the particular church or, or worldview or, or or holy book or whatever, the case is a heterodoxy um, would be something that is believed, though it is not necessarily um, a, a a teaching that the church holds to in a dogmatic sense um, a, across the board. In other words, there are some who, of course, wouldn't classify old earth creationism as either one of those. But I think if I had to um, kind of distinguish between the two, I would place um, old earth creationism in the, in the camp of a heterodoxy versus a heresy. Um, and just to kind of give you... Um, a definition of this. Uh, so heterodox, according to Webster, is um, essentially not conforming with accepted or orthodox standards or beliefs. So not conforming with accepted or orthodox standards or beliefs. But a heresy is defined as a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox religious doctrine. So that's the difference. One is totally contrary and the other is just non-conforming. And so, um, I, you know, there are plenty who argue that uh, in this case it would be neither, but I'm not going to call, um, I'm not going to call our old earth creationism a, a heresy in that term because that would mean that it affects salvation. And I just don't believe it does. I think this is something that's, um, aberrant. I, I think it is something that is, it's not supported. Um, by the Bible when you actually read it and take a close look, but nevertheless, I don't think we can call it a heresy. I think that's, um, I think that's a dangerous thing to do. Um, uh, now, of course, Pro responds to the fact that uh, Jesus, uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, uh, does refer to the creation. Uh, he says that Jesus is saying when marriage was created, um, that marriage was created when male and female were created. But he proceeds that by saying male and female were created at the beginning of creation. And um, and I agree there. Uh, again, we, we've been through that. I, I completely agree with Pro's point that Jesus was indeed referencing the literal history. Um, I, I faced that objection the other day myself just to come back to it. And um, 
Somebody said, well, you're taking it out of context. The context here is marriage and divorce. I said, yes, but the whole argument that Jesus makes rests upon the literal foundation uh, of marriage, of Adam and Eve in the beginning. Um, In other words, the context um, is relevant here, but the whole point is that Jesus' argument is built on a, a a correct understanding of Genesis. And so we have to be careful there um, in in saying that Jesus is not referring to a little history. I don't think there is any any argument to be made for that side of the case. Um, Pro uh, makes a case here. He says, my opponent cannot use the Bible to prove um, old earth creationism because I showed in my opening statement that the Bible clearly teaches a 6,000-year-old earth, so he has no choice but to appeal to human authority figures like his OAC leaders um, to justify his beliefs and to twist the writings of the early church fathers he quoted to make them teach things they never taught. Um, He also says uh, quite definitively that my opponent is clearly a heretic if he appeals to the Bible to justify his OEC beliefs, because as I showed in my opening statement, the Bible explicitly teaches a 6,000-year-old earth and universe. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, also, uh, he says, I blindly believe what I was told by my um, old earth creationist authority figures. Um, and I had little respect for the Bible when it came to origins that in my own personal Bible reading times, when I would come across the genealogies and time spans of scripture that I've listed here today, I would skip reading them because I saw them as unnecessary texts that had no purpose of being there in scripture. This is pro-talking who used to be an old earth creationist. He said it was only after I was exposed to young earth creationism for the first time that I understood what those genealogies and time spans were there for, and that is how to calculate um, how old the earth and universe is. Um, yeah, yeah, boy, it's, it's interesting. Now, uh, of course, Khan comes in and closes by essentially saying that, uh, pro's argument, uh, is weak. Um, he says that, uh, the early church fathers, um, did not, uh, believe that a young earth was essential to their, to salvation, even if that is the view that they held. Um, and uh, he then says something important. He says, Pro demonstrates that he is unaware as to how something is determined to be heretical. He says, Throughout the history of Christianity, it has always been the church that has defined what heresy is. All Christians, regardless of what they think of the age of the earth, worship God alone. So Pro's claim that old earth creationism is primarily a man-centered religion has no basis in reality. I'm going to give you... Collins' concluding statement, because it's succinct, he says, Pro's argument fails. First, he defined a heresy as something that goes against official teaching but never provided any evidence to prove that a literal reading of Genesis 1 through 11 has ever been an official teaching of Christianity. Second, he said that rejecting a literal reading of the Bible is what makes something heresy. But he admitted that he rejects that the literal reading of some passages. Um, third, he assumes that even though uh, every early Christian knew that the literal reading of Genesis 1 through 11 um, was a salvation issue, nobody said it was, uh, since it wasn't a decisive or a divisive topic at the time. And after examining um, his claims carefully, there's no reason to accept his claim. Believing in an old earth and universe affects one's salvation. Um, and so that is the. Uh, conclusion of the debate. So, uh, you know, to, just to to, pro- to provide some commentary here, um, I think that this was a very important debate to be had. I think both sides made made good points. I think that Pro put some questions in place 
that Khan was not able to answer very well. I think that, um, and, you know, that's just consistent with my experience. I think that there are very pressing biblical questions that are very difficult for those who would hold to an old age time scale to answer because I don't believe the Bible teaches that. However, just to use a cross comparison, I think that if somebody were to let me let me let me be careful how I say this, but I think that if 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 if, if two people were if you had a Armenian over here and a Calvinist over here, I think that you would have both who have um, even sufficient scriptural support for their position. I think that you could spout off a hundred scriptures that are in support of an Armenian position, and I think you could spout off a hundred scriptures that are in support of a Calvinist description. However, I also think it's possible that both of those are Christian brothers. By the way, I don't subscribe to either one of those positions for anybody who cares, but we'll deal with that another time. Um, perhaps on my blog you can read about that sometime. But... Um, uh, point being that I, I, I just don't, and this is something that directly is related to salvation, because when we're talking about sovereignty, we're talking about salvation, right? When we're talking about this Calvinism versus Armenian debate, ultimately, when it boils down, we're talking about salvation. And yet, I believe that a clear case can be made that both Armenians and Calvinists are be saved, uh, are, are saved. T to me, there is just no difference. Um, I, I don't think that rejecting the literal creation account is akin to rejecting the Trinitarian nature of the Godhead. Okay, I, I don't think that case can be made. I don't think the Bible explicitly states that one must believe in evolution and billions of, or, or one must believe in a young Earth creation and and believe against evolution and billions of years in order to be saved. Um, I think, just to use a classic example, I think the thief on the cross did not have time to work out his theological convictions uh, before he made it to paradise. And I also don't think that had he had that time to work out his theological convictions and came to a conclusion that was not what true history reflected, I do not think that would cause him, uh, cause Jesus uh, to rescind his offer, or to cause Jesus' offer to be null and void. Um, so I think those are the things you have to consider. So here's the thing. Um, I believe with, um, along with Pro, that it is very hard to make a biblical case for anything but a recent creation. I, I think the evidence is conclusive. I, I, I just, I, I do not, um, I do not see how you can make a biblical case to the contrary. However, I believe that Khan won this debate. I, in my opinion, in my opinion, Khan won uh, this debate simply because uh, he has made a pretty clear case that the Bible does not speak to this issue being one of salvation. Um, by the way, most all, I believe all, of your major creationist um teaching organizations, uh, the majority, uh, especially the big ones, are going to hold to the fact that this is not a salvation issue. It is an authority issue. It is where do you um, get your final authority? Do you believe the Bible or do you believe the church fathers or, or do you believe um, 
you know, modern scientists. I mean, each of each of those things are important considerations. Okay, I'm not saying we just dismiss them, but ultimately, ultimately, we get our teaching from the Word of God itself, and the Word of God just does not support the fact that you must believe in a recent creation in order to be saved. So while I think uh, I, I I most certainly agree with prose. Um, convictions in in this regard as to the age of the earth, um, I cannot I cannot agree or support his argument that it is uh, a salvation issue. Um, yeah, I believe Colin won this debate in that regard, and I think he showed uh, sufficiently from Scripture that uh, that this issue is one um, that is uh, an in-house debate. It is uh, not one that has had merely among Christians and non-Christians, um, especially because uh, my theological persuasion would, would be that we are eternally secure, and I don't think you can trust in Christ one week and then a couple weeks later learn something about origins that's contrary to what you believe and then fall from grace and into apostasy at that point. All right, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you uh, that your word has been so clear throughout the centuries. Lord, I, I thank you that you have uh, well um, articulated in your scriptures the age of the earth. I thank you that we can trust in that. Then, Father, on the other hand, I want to say that I'm also thankful that you have made it so simple to learn how to come to you. I'm not saying that the Christian life is easy. Uh, I'm certainly not advocating for an easy believism of any sort. The Bible uh, is is very clear in teaching that um, that uh, salvation is by grace through faith, and it's not of works. The Bible also teaches that a Christian um, will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, will manifest good works as part of that. Um, Father, I believe your teaching in your word is absolutely clear with regard to those matters. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, that you have uh, preserved it throughout the centuries for us to be able to study your word today and know uh, with confidence that your words are true and that your words are pure. We love you for that, Father, and we thank you again for the opportunity to come before you today. We want to give you glory, honor, praise, and thanks for everything that you do in our lives and that you will continue to do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me this week. We deviated off the beaten path a little bit this week. That's all right. Uh, We'll get back to it next week. I thought this was an important issue, and uh, I'm glad to be able to address it this morning. All right, so God bless. Everybody have a great week. See you next week. Bye-bye.